Hello, everybody. Here I'm there to talk about Anchor. It's one of the best podcast uh, platforms that you can you can uh, go on. You can put all your podcasts on Apple, Google, any place. Any place to put up your podcast, you could all do it in one place. Anchor has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. And you can distribute any of your, your podcasts on any platform like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you know, Anchor, Stitcher, iHeart, everything. It's everything you need you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. And let me tell you, I have had great experience with Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. That is Anchor FM to get started today. Welcome to Cindy and Joe's show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. You know, the one that matters. <laughs> Listen, you got a lot of baggage right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. But today, we're here, and we're, at, we're talking Red Wings hockey, like everyone likes, you know? Of course we all love Red Wings hockey, and we should definitely love them this year, because this season, they are right smack dab in the middle of the standings right now as far as uh, they're about a 500 team. So they're half and half. They're doing, they've been doing 50% great and 50% they could do a little better. You know, you know what's interesting about the Red Wings though? Is as good as they've, well, as surprising as they've been. They've been. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's the most surprising is the people that are calling for Blash's head. Well, they've been calling for Blashell's head for a while now, but I think they have less justification for doing it now. That's what I find interesting, is that people have been complaining about Jeff Blashell for the last two seasons, and why they're ramping it up now, I'll never know, because I'll tell you, he's done amazing things with this team, considering he's gotten some additional talent, yep. but he's been lacking some. Jacob Verona hasn't been back for a long time. He hasn't had him. That's right, and I, I mean, think Blash is doing better now. Than he's ever done. Well, you look at the team; they're they're one line team, so you know it's it's kind of not it's 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 put strain on the other the play, other players to, to play better. You know, when your top five point getters are the people on the first line and the first defense pairing, you've got a little bit of a problem because usually you you like to get a little mix of it where you have the some you have a second line center who's in the top five of the points on the team because once you get to the, you know, one line team that's that's never really good. So that's, that's that's a credit to Jeff Blashup and the, the way that they're playing this year and the way that they're they're really not playing bad. They're playing five hundred hockey and that's all you can ex- that's all you can expect at this point right now. Sure, especially considering the roster and the challenges they've had, you know, with I mean, look at all the challenges they faced, right? You've had illnesses and injury. You've got the whole COVID fiasco. Yep. You've got, you know, these rescheduled games, yep. shakeups in the calendar. I mean, you know, hockey players by nature are kind of like creatures of habit, yeah. more so than anything else, you know? And they rely on that kind of consistency. And you upset their apple cart in any one area, and it can really throw off their game. And these guys have had upsets all over the place. I think they've done a tremendous job of managing that. You bring up a good point about the COVID thing, because I was looking at the schedule, and there's four games that are postponed. Did you know the Wings were on two-game winner streaks before that game was postponed? Yeah, well, it's a, it's you know what that's what it is. It's a it shifts the dynamic. Yeah, so it like, changes the you're, momentum. You're, you're in a good you're in a good place. You're, right. You guys are humming along. The next game gets postponed, and they really don't do the back to backs like you know in early in the season. You don't really see back to backs in in the early part of the season. So 
you're waiting another four days to play a game. You know, that really messes with the momentum. Well, it's absolutely. And uh, now the rescheduled games have been out. And the one I'm looking forward to is the one I was disappointed I was going to miss it. And that is the Colorado uh, home game. The February 20th. Yeah, it's going to be February 23rd. February 23rd. And I'll tell you, if I don't have anything else on my calendar, I'm going to be down there at, at LCA because there is nothing more charge you up than a game against the Colorado Avalanche on home ice for the Detroit Red Wings or Detroit Red Wing fans. I mean, that's one you can really get into. Yeah, and it's and they've been playing pretty good hockey. Yeah, both both teams are they have a good. They I think got, good matchups really. It's, it's good matchups, and yeah, you're expecting Verona might be back in the middle of February, early March. So that could be a really, really if they get tread water till then, they'll they'll be good. And I think we're going to talk about. The impact that Jacob Brana's return is going to have not only on potential line combinations, but kind of overall with regards to the power play units and so forth. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but let's talk about, before we do that, I'd like to talk about kind of the news of the day, mm-hmm. um, because I think it speaks to the overall approach that Detroit is taking to to the rebuild, and that is they claimed uh, Gamel Smith off waivers today. Yeah, Giovanni's brother. Giovanni's brother, yep. right? And I love Giovanni Smith. So do you. He's he's a dude. I he's like one of my favorite guys, and I call him one of our polka dot players, yep. and I love him. And uh, I just love him because he's gritty and he's tough, and I think he he was something that you know the Red Wings really needed. Mm-hmm. And now we've got his brother joining him. What do you call those guys? They got a name. The for Bash them. Brothers. The Bash Brothers. Yeah. Now come on, it doesn't freaking get any better than that. Is that not a way to define the Detroit Red Wings? They used to have the Bruise Brothers, right? Yeah. Back in the now they got the Bash Brothers, and I think you're seeing a whole. Everything's kind of coming full circle the from the beginning, from back from the 19, you know, late 90s when they had their Stanley Cup, uh, Stanley Cup teams. You're really seeing. I think it's starting to cycle back around. Like I said last week, Stevie's putting the band back together. You know what? And Gamal is more of an offensive guy. He can play. He's a really good offensive player. Giovanni's more of a defensive player, and you both need those. So. It's a good line. It's a good combination of both. And Stevie claimed in my waivers in Tampa Bay, so he. I mean, he, he traded for him in Tampa Bay. Yeah. So he knows what he's getting, and uh, I think that that's that's a very very savvy move by Mister Stevie Y. As I would expect it to be, but I think it also speaks to the again the approach that the Red Wings are taking. We've talked about this for months. The Cindy and Joe show. The geniuses on the Cindy and Joe show, your hometown team, knew that the best approach for the Detroit Red Wings was going to be getting physical. They, We are known to be a physical team. We, they come from a gritty city, and this is how they have always had their successes here. So we knew they needed to get back to a more physical style of play, and I think you can see with the moves that Stevie is making, even the way that Blash had these guys coming out right at the beginning of the season, right out the gate, they were going to set the tone, yeah. and um, that they weren't going to be messed with, and that they were going to be a different kind of team. And I think that this recent move today, this uh, acquisition um, of Gamel Smith uh, just punctuates that and goes to show again the mo- the movement that the Red Wings are making to becoming a more physical presence. That's exactly what they need to do to win hockey games. Yeah, I think I think what they did was they basically got a guy in Smith who, you know, let's let's put it frankly, they want to have a more physical approach to their game, and you know, getting a guy like um, you know, Cider has been physical. 
Yep. You know, Raymond, he's not the biggest guy, but he's been physical. They're not afraid to be physical. Heck, they even had Michael Rasmussen, Rass. They even had him coming out being physical, and yeah. he was kind of a bit of a, and that's, and that's, a, a wussy boy last year. You and, know, we always complained. He didn't use his size. You he didn't use, use your his size. physical strength. You gotta use your size. And you saw them going that way. Again, you can see it in the coaching. You can see it in even coming from guys who don't get physical. Heck, Dylan Larkin, you know, D-Boss getting physical right out the gate this season. So there's no doubt about it. I think That's the, the, I think the biggest part about this Redmonds team is the, how physical they have been. Because I think, I think, you know, they're not the most talented team. So for them to be in the wild card race shows you how... You know, the, they've added elements to their game to where they don't have to be this offensive juggernaut. You know, they're going to be hitting you, and they're going to be playing defense, and they're going to be doing a good job. And Nadalkovich, he's been playing really, really good. You know, he started off really, really slow. Start off slow. He, he I think he had a, a 901 save percentage, but he's he's creeping up in the 910 save percentage uh, area. And when you do that, you're in the top echelon of the league. I think Ned is absolutely the goalie of the future. I made that claim, it was a few shows ago, um, that I love to watch Ned play. He's very athletic. Um, He's a lot of fun to watch. But you're looking at a guy who's so versatile in net. And as soon as it gets dialed in, it just took him a little bit of time to get it dialed in. But once he did... He really showed us what he could do, and that's why I'm excited about uh, Nedeljkovic, and I think he is absolutely going to be a huge part of the foundation of this rebuild um, moving forward. And that's exactly the way you should build it back to front. To our next top, our next, our next, you know, situation that we have the the, the, the Red Wings in is uh, the bargain bin that Stevie Y is, is. He's a little bit praising the bargain bin, like he's going through the DVDs at Walmart. The five dollar DVDs, uh, you know, he's like, okay, who he's can gonna I, find the blockbuster who, in there? Who, who can I get here that like you know, I got Ned for a third round pick. I got, I got Letty for a third round pick, and they're both playing really really well. And he got Verona, who you know he's injured, but he traded Mantha, which that was still that has to be. I I I love that trade had to be up there in probably the top. 20 moves in Detroit Red Wings history. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely brilliant. I don't care. You could have applied that to any one of the championship seasons. A quite that that acquisition for what he gave up for what he got in Jacob Verana. And first round pick brilliant. and second round pick. And your first round pick oh, got it was brilliant. Your first round pick got Sebastian Kosha, which he's looking like a stud with the Oil Kings too. Like he, the, the, CBY just parades the little bargain bin, and I've been told he's still parading it. You know, he told people that he wasn't going to trade, but that's that never sit. You know, the people I was talking to, they were like, "Yes, yeah, Stevie told everyone he's not trading," but deep down inside, that makes where if someone comes to him, he's going to be like, "Oh, so you know, this is the player I want, and this is what you're going to get me. And if you don't like it, then I'm going to I'm going to take my my little my little groupies." home and we're not going to do business with you so you better you better bring up the the goods to get what you want and that's usually when he 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 wins it he did the same thing in tempe he would always say yeah i'm not going to be trading that much you know we're still we're still building we're still building we're still building and then boom he makes the trade because stevie's a brilliant strategist and brilliant strategists never 
disclose the game plan. They, you never, ever, ever show anybody your hand because it you lose you lose position that way. And Stevie knows not how not to lose position. The guy is is smart. I'm telling you, he's reading. He's another one reading the Trump negotiation. You know, he read the art of the deal. I'm certain of it. And uh, he's employing because those if, tactics. If he comes out here and he says, "Oh, I want to make a trade," people are going to come at him being. They're going to say these off the wall trades that really you really don't want to make when you're rebuilding. They're going to waste his time is right. what's going to happen. So and Stevie him, doesn't have time to waste. By him saying, I'm not doing trades, when someone comes off or they're offering something pretty good. Well, and also, they're not watching him to see who he's watching. Right. You know what I mean? And he can kind of fly under the radar. So, no, Steve Steve has learned, learned a tremendous amount in Tampa Bay. He honed his skills there as a negotiator and as a general manager. And the Red Wings are... Getting the benefit of all of that. Yeah. So um, I'm wondering now, since he's perusing the bargain bin, any ideas, any thoughts on where you think Stevie might be going there? Where's he looking? I think he's looking towards Montreal. I think he could do business in Montreal. To the great north he's looking. I think okay. I think Montreal is a team that's kind of selling. And I think that they could give up a guy like a Christian Dvorak. Um, even like a Brian Russ and Pets Pittsburgh. You know, here's the reality of the situation. You know, the people that don't understand is COVID really crunched some of these teams in the salary cap because they thought it was going to go up and everything. So for them to make deals, they're going to have to make backdoor deals where they give up a player to get salary cap relief so they can get what they want. And then that's, that's exactly what's going to open the door for CBY because there's going to be a team that comes up to him and goes, listen, we really like to keep this guy, but we can't, we can't keep him because his salary cap, you know, he's getting paid $4 million and, we need $4 million to get this guy, you know? Yeah, and Stevie's got the room to do it. He's got the money to do it, and he's got all the authority he the, needs to the, do the it. The Red Wings have a brilliant cap situation right now where they, they can take on a contract for two to three years, and it's not going to inhibit them on, on what they do for the long haul, you know? They, they're kind of – they've got enough room to where, you know, Nick Letty's deal is expiring this year. Um, he's got Verona, Bertuzzi, and Larkin locked up, you know? He's got Piranha clocked up. You know, there's there's a lot of avenues he can go to uh, make a deal. And I think he will. And uh, what I'm anxious to see is what happens to the Red Wings line combinations. What does it mean for the power play when Jacob Verana comes back? You mentioned earlier that there's a good chance we may see him again in that game against the Avalanche, uh, which I think would be outstanding. I mean, well, heck, the sooner we can see Verana, the better. But in particular, I hope he's back for yeah. that for that game on the 23rd of February. So what will that mean for the Detroit Red Wings, Joe, when, when Jacob Vronham comes back? How do you think that's going to impact the line combinations? We'll talk about that. It'll impact the, the situation with the lines because, listen, right now they're a one-line team right now. So if you can get another line going, it opens the door for the other lines to get going too because – you know, one line really, you, know, you don't want to be a one-line team. You know, there's a lot of one-line teams in the NHL. You know, the Edmonton Oilers are one, and they're struggling. You know, they're, and they have the two best players in the world. You, can't, you have to have two lines, sometimes three, to be good. You know what's notable? Uh, when we look at the line combinations for the Detroit Red Wings, let's look at their top line. What's surprising you there? It's not Dylan Larkin, no surprise. I'm not even surprised that Lucas Raymond's on that top line. 
But I'm pleasantly, and not even surprised, because I knew this guy had what it took. I knew this was going to be a breakout year for him, and I told him that personally to his face. I told Vladislav Nemetsnikov, this is going to be your breakout year. I made that claim well before the season started. And look who's on the top line for the Detroit Red Wings. None other than number 92, Vladislav Nemetsnikov. That's exactly who's there. And... That is a a very is again pleasantly surprising, but it's working. The line is working. So um, where are we looking at? So then on then the second line we've got Robbie Fabry, Pius Suter, and Tyler Bertuzzi, which I think was an interesting thing when I when it happened, Joe, because you said all along, remember, you felt Bertuzzi should be on the second line because they needed strength on the second line. So Tyler should have been there, and that's where they put him. The question is now this. I think there's no doubt Jacob Vrana is going to be in the top six. Yeah. Who's going to go? What's going to happen? I can. Do you want to take a stab at it, or shall I stab at it first? Oh, I think Nemeskov is going to go to the third line. And I okay. think what that's going to do is that's going to open. The third line is going to get a lot better. Vrana, second line with Suter and Fabry. I think that's a good combination. And then you put Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Raymond together because they're they're a really good line combination together. But I wouldn't be surprised if when Verona comes back, if you see a guy like Zadina come up to the second line. See, now I gotta tell you, I have a difference of opinion with you there. Are you are you done? Because I'll, I'll I'll I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want you to claim that I'm interrupting you. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I think is going to happen. I think Zadina's in a slump right now. Yeah. So I think that what there's you're going to see movement on. I'll tell you the truth, Robbie Fabry is in a bit of a slump too. But what I think we're going to see, um, Raymond. Raymond has has been scoreless for for a while. But I think that you're still going to see him on the top line. What I think is going to happen is I think you're going to see. <clears throat> excuse me. I think you're going to see Zadina drop off and I think you're going to see in those top three lines I think you're going to see um Nemetsnikov Fabry and um and Vrana uh in the top three I mean you could be right you could be right I think well I think when Vrana comes back that's going to open up the team for you know a lot of different situations you know yeah I think you're going to see more of um, wouldn't surprise me if you saw if 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 Vlad gets dropped down to the third line, uh, I think it's going to be to bump Zadina off. <coughs> Excuse me. You got me coughing today. And you're, choke, uh, I you're think choking. You're, you're choking. I think you're gonna <coughs> funny. No, you, uh, you're choking. No, I, I think you're, you're gonna see You're choking like Zadina and I'm choking in, in like see every zone. time I say it, I say <laughs> No, I think I think you're going to see if you see uh, Vlad drop to the third line. I think you're going to see Verana uh, on the top line. Yeah, I, I could see that, but I think <laughs> I think adding Verana Verana to the second line would be great because one thing Suter needs uh, on his on his his wing is a guy who could who could put the puck in the net. You know, he, he does got Bertuzzi on that line, but Verana's more of an open skilled kind of open. He's a playmaker. So if you put him on the second line, you you open up Fabry's game, and then, then that that really puts it really puts you ahead of the game from that standpoint. 
You know, the, the other thing, and, and you're talking about us being a one-line team or whatever, and I think if you look at the strength of our centers, that's definitely something that we have to work on. Um, you know, <clears throat> Suter was a good addition, but certainly still not, um, you know, uh, up to uh, the level that, that Dylan Larkin is. And then you got Rasmussen and Valeno, I don't, uh, both good guys, but again, I, I see a weakness there mm-hmm. among our centers, so I think they're going to have to do something about that. But and that may be something that CBY moves toward uh, yeah. in that bargain, you know, that bargain yeah. bin he's looking yeah. at. So uh, he very well may be looking for a centerman. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to the power play I, units, well, I'm I'm, I'm going to say this right now. Yeah, I, I think this is the most the probably the biggest. Uh, I would say, I think this is like one of the bigger things I've had to say, but I really do think that Jonathan Bergen. Will be up at some point this year. I mean, you look at you look at his AHL statistics. He's played thirty games. He's at twenty seven points, and he's playing he's playing really really well for for Grand Rapids. I mean, he's played he's played good anywhere he's gone. I mean, he's he's been a, usually a point per game player. I mean, in the Swedish Junior League in twenty eighteen, he had he had fifty seven points in thirty eight games played. Oh, he's been a stud so far everywhere they've put him. Um, question is, will he be able to handle the the big, you know, the big show pressure? Well, well when he's he's in the AHL, I mean, he's he's shown that he can play, he can play at the, at that at that level. And I don't I don't doubt his playing ability, Joe. What I what I'm concerned about is getting up to NHL and kind of and being able to handle the environment. Right. Not that he couldn't handle the skill, yeah. but can he handle just the environment? Uh, it's very different. Than, than being with the Griffins or, or with the Junior League, uh, the Swedish Junior League. So, um, but I think he absolutely deserves a look and deserves, I, I will, I will go with you on this one. I absolutely think Bergen is, um, demonstrating and proving himself worthy for a shot. They need to test him, him in an and, NHL environment. Him and Valeno have been absolutely dynamic in, in, in Grand Rapids. And I think if there's, a, if there's an injury to the center position, before Stevens comes back, I think if if by happen chance like Erasmusen gets hurt and a suitor gets hurt for a short period of time, I think that's when you're going to see Bergen and uh, Delano back up at the big club. I think they absolutely. Uh, I think he deserves a shot at it, and I do think it would be wise for the Wings to <clears throat> see what he can do because um, that's. Uh, that he could add a tremendous amount of value if he can handle the pressure and if he can handle the environment of the NHL. I think Bergen could be a huge uh, addition for the Wings. Oh, for sure, and I think that that's something that they that's something you know center position is really a, a glaring need that they need a second line center. You know, you look at the Boston Bruins. You know, back in back when they had David Krejci and uh, Patrice Bergeron. You know. Those are two good centermen who could who could lead the charge for the offense uh, on, on on that end, but they're also good defensively and good on their own end. So, I think Stevie Y is playing it quote carefully that he doesn't want to bring up someone to you know bring up someone too early and then they they really aren't ready for the big club. Steve is known for that. Steve is known for being very judicious about moving up uh, his AHL guys. Uh, up into the, up into the big club, um, you know, but his young guys, he's very protective of his younger guys because he knows what can happen if they are managed incorrectly. So uh, that's always been a strength I think Steve's displayed. Uh, I think the the most impact though, more so than on the 
on the, the line combinations, I think Verona will have the greatest impact in the power play units yeah. because his return is going to allow Jeff Blashill to make some very dynamic changes or he can have a tremendous amount of impact uh, now having Verona in his power play unit. Yeah. Um, I think it'll help strengthen the second unit because he can put Verona in that first unit and then move one of his stronger first unit players to his second unit. So I, I think that's where I think that's where Verona's really going to have impact. Oh, I agree totally. I think that they, I think Verona coming back it, it really broadens the team because right now they're kind of a little bit limited to what they can do and and the, the firepower that they have. So if you can if you can get a guy like Verona, bring him back to the fold. You can you you expand the power play. You expand the uh, first second line, and you're kind of you're kind of making it better than it was before. Either way, we are in a better position with Jacob Verona back in the lineup. I think Steve's going to bring on some surprises. Gamal Smith coming on, uh, bringing in the Bash brothers. I love that. And, uh, again, all movement in the right direction for the Detroit I, Red Wings. I think, I think if, you're, if you're a Red Wings fan, all you have to do is hope that you tread water, stay at 500, or, or, or get above 500 all the way until Verona comes back. Because I think when Verona comes back, it'll be such a lift for the team. That they will win. They'll have, they'll go on a really nice winning streak, and I think they could definitely make make the playoffs if they if they get that. And I think that is going to be something we're going to be talking about in coming weeks, maybe even next week when we start really talking about uh, after we clear the trade deadline and, and all that stuff. When we really start talking about the trajectory for the Red Wings to get into the playoffs, and I think you've got some great analytics that yep. we're going to share start sharing with people. Uh, for those of you who don't know, in fact, catch us, I think, in our next segment uh, when we're going to talk about uh, my my co-host, Joseph P. Chap, has, in fact, patents pending on his player analytics. We have a real star in the analytics ranks sitting right here. I feel no, almost... No, ah, no, 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 I feel no, no. as if I'm not even worthy to sit next to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if I if it gets me a job inside the front office with Stevie Y, I'm all for it. If it even gets me next to Stevie Y, I'm <laughs> using it too. Well, I, I know, I know, I know where you're going with that. Woo! So next thing we will be talking about the Lions and their boom or bust ratio for the draft. Let's do it. Join us in the next segment, but you know, wrote the rubbings. I both think we're both in agreement that if they just hold steady, they, that could be. Did they the two games that they have at the. Um, this week with the Dallas and Nashville, I think you have to win at least one of them. Oh, I think they've got. I think uh, if they take both of them, it's a defining moment. Uh, if they beat Dallas for sure, but if they beat Dallas and Nashville, defining moment for the Detroit Red Wings. And if they split it, puts them in a very good position, and they'll at least uh, have re- kept that respect that they've earned so far. Oh yeah. And the next time you join us for the Lions conversation. Welcome, Cindy and Joe Shaw. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And today we have a brand new metric to kind of measure you through the draft process. Yes, and that statistical and analytical tool has come from none other than Joseph P. Chap. And for those of you who don't know, Joe just hangs around here being some humble dude, but the reality of the matter is that it is a patent-pending analytic tool that has uh, been recognized by many in the professional sports industry. And uh, Joe is a wanted man here for his great statistical analysis and uh, player analytics. So you, on the Cindy and Joe Show, are going to have 
a special uh, exhibition of such a tool. Yeah, so this this tool can be used throughout any sport because it's a measure of certain uh, statistics, certain uh, measurables, certain ways that you can measure how good a player can be. Like, for instance, I use the same statistic in hockey, and guess who came up with Lucas Raymond? That was the, that was the correlation that you could tie it between two sports. And then I did another correlation. I did Kate Cunningham because he's another Detroit pro, uh, player, and it came back the same as what he is right now. And isn't it true that when you interviewed for one of the local professional sports teams or had a meeting with them, that they were very intrigued by your methodology and they were very intrigued by how you came up with, interestingly enough, the very same conclusions that some of their top scouts did. Yeah, and it's a different method because it's more statistical-based. It's more metrics-based. You know, one of the things that, that we people get wrong in sports is it's opinion. You know, they, this opinion of this and that, it, it kind of clouds what their judgment is. You know, but you, you can only use certain analytics in certain situations and certain metrics, but it helps to have it. You can't just use it all analytics or all opinion-based. Yeah, you kind of got to have both, right? Yeah. So what I'm wondering, Joe, is will your analytics model work for politics? Because I would really like to know, <laughs> for example... Who might be the strongest candidate in the Michigan Secretary of State's race? Just saying, not that I have any vested interest. We, we, <laughs> we, we, we could do that because uh, I think you'd have a pretty, pretty pretty big power grab over there. Would it give me the edge, Joe? That's what I want to know. I think it would. I think it would. <laughs> I th- it's obviously different in the politics realm because there are so many variables that play in that because you're from the politics realm. Right. There's so many variables that come into play, but like in sports, it's a little bit different. You know, like... It, well, there's more measurables there's in more sports. Me- there's more yeah. measurables. Like if we me- measured you against Jocelyn Benson, I don't know what the height difference is, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I think that could come into play. But you know, with this is it's it's a, it's the same thing. It's it's you know, a lot of people are talking about Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson as the people that you want to go after for the top two picks. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the top the second overall pick for the Lions. Yeah. It, uh, now let me ask you this, Joe. Does your analytics? tool take into account not only who's the better draft choice, but specifically who is the better draft choice relative to what the Lions need. It's more it's more based on okay, so it's more based on how do how does this player how does this player go to the NFL and how is he ready? It's like when I did it for Lucas Raymond with the uh Red Wings. You know, he in the Swedish League Hockey League he did pretty pretty well and he was doing he's played really, really well. And it kind of measured it to what the NHL standards was. And the boom-bust ratio that you would, the player index, I call it, was a 75% positive rating and a 25% negative rating. And I've done, I went back and I've, I've done models of, you know, players like Joey Harrington. You know, that's a guy that the, the Lions are very, very, know, they know about Joey Harrington. Okay. He had a boom bust ratio, like a player index rating, where his boom was thirty three percent, and his his I think his uh, his bust ratio is about forty seven percent. That's a big that's a big jump, especially when you're talking about a quarterback. It's the same thing with this one, you know. And this one is it's a little bit different because like a lot of people want Aiden Hutchinson, they want Kayvon Thibodeau, and because they're areas of need that the Lions need, but there's a very very 
very real possibility. And this is where Brad Holmes has to kind of do his homework because the boom, but the player index rating has a 49% bust rating for Debito and a 51% positive rating. That's as close as you can get to 50 50. And Aiden Hutchinson is the same thing 51% boom and a 49% pop, a negative rating. So, in other words, when we're talking about Thibodeau or Hutchinson, we're looking at really a crapshoot either way. Pretty much you're, you're, you're taking a risk either way. Because yeah. if you look at it, like, if you go into the metrics and you look at it and you go into statistics and you say, well, look, like, look at Aiden Hutchinson, right? He's ascended, which means he's came into the picture. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Thibodeau, he's descended. He has regressed. One's progressed and one's regressed. But if you look at their whole overall evaluation, the thing about Aiden Hutchinson is this was his best year as a college player. Yeah. And Thibodeau's was best college year was as a, as a freshman. And I always get worried about, you know, a lot of players when they think that they're going to be picked on top five or top, you know, top five pick, they, they kind of put it on back. Like they don't, play as hard yeah, because they're trying to protect himself. And we see him with Trevor Lawrence, who's the number one overall pick last year, and the boom-bust ratio for him was 55 and 45. Not as good as you would think it would be Not for all the hype. Because the guy, let's put it in perspective all time, okay? A guy like Peyton Manning, 90-10. Wow. I'm just dying to know. You know who I'm going to ask about. Tom Brady? My man, Tom Brady. Ooh. He can bust me anytime, I'm just saying. <laughs> Which, you know, it's funny because I'm actually rooting for Tom Brady this week. I think that, I think, I, I'm kind of sick of the whole Matthew Stafford stuff. Well, you know, it's interesting because it seems like there has been more discussion about Matthew Stafford as a Lion since he's been a Ram than there was when he was a Lion. <laughs> You know what the sad part about it is? This is like literally the sad part. The sad part is like, you know, Matthew Stafford, he went to LA and he was like, oh, I want to play in big games. Well, you played in big games in Detroit and you lost them. Like you, you, yeah. you lost against Green Bay at home for the division title. You lost against Dallas because you didn't score no points in the second half. You're asking for a whole... You're asking to lose when you don't score in a whole half. But the argument, Joe, always was that Matthew Stafford didn't have anyone around him to contribute to the to the win. That they didn't have, you know, any supporting cast. He didn't have anyone, uh, you know, he had no receivers. He had, he had nobody on his line to help him out. That was the argument. And so they're saying, well, now he goes to L.A. and he shouldn't have this problem. But it's just interesting how we're talking about Lions players even after they're no longer Lions. I mean, do you see that dynamic anywhere else other than, say, Tom Brady? I mean, people are talking about Tom Brady because, huh, let's face it, it's Tom Brady. Well, they're going to talk about Tom, him no matter where he's Tom at. Brady's one. But they don't talk about Tom Brady as a Patriot. They talk about Tom Brady as a buck. I still talk about him as a Patriot because he won. He won. Well, but, maybe but, they're... But, but the Lions fans are consumed to think... See, you bring up an interesting point. You know, Matthew Stafford is boom. When he was... His player index rating was 45-55, which 55 was negative and 45 was positive. Now, that's a real, that is an interesting statistic. 
that actually he had a greater bust ratio than a boom ratio. I'm wondering if L.A. took that into account or if they're even considering that. Now let me ask you this. You know who I'm going to ask about next, right? Who? Who do you, What happens to Jared Goff? Where does he factor in? I'm curious. Well, when he when he came to the league, it was 45-55, too. So he was the same as Matthew Staff. Yeah. It, 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 it's Because you got to look at it. Like, from where, you know, the, the measurables for Goff really weren't that great. They really weren't. Um, like a guy, like a guy like um, a guy like Patrick Mahomes, right? When he came out, he had a good forty time. He had a good, uh, he had a good, uh, he he had statistics to back it up. He was a more of a positive rating than he was a bust rating. That was probably something that Kansas City looked at. Like they looked at the, pro- the probability of what he could do versus what he can't do. Well, and obviously, too, you know, when they're doing this player assessment and they're assessing their draft picks, they're obviously also taking into account the intangibles. And we've talked about that. Yeah. You know, you've got all your hard numbers. You've got all your analytics. Those are all, you know, your your observations. You know, those are your tangibles, film, all that kind of thing. But then you've got your intangibles, right, which are kind of like ambition, drive, uh, you know, mindset, um, discipline, all of those things. Well, for quarterbacks, it's very, very easy to um, how measure how they how, how do they come back from adversity, you know? Like, I think, you know, a guy like Tom Brady, you know, when he throws an interception, he's more likely to throw a touchdown the next drive. A guy like Matthew Stafford, he's more of a guy who where – it depends who he's playing. If he's playing a team that – really isn't no great shakes, he'll play well. He will, he will. But when he plays a good team, he's put up against it, face the pressure, he kind of struggles. He kind of gets, it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's certain players that they relish playing good teams, and there's certain players that just don't. So, I mean, obviously, so his his ability to produce seems to be relative to his environment. Mm-hmm. And that's what he really does need to eclipse that in order to realize his full potential and, and really become a champion. The other thing, too, that I'm curious about these analytic models, whether it's yours or somebody else's, because we talk a lot about analytics, and no doubt the Lions are looking at that when they're when they're assessing their draft choices and making sure they make the right choice. Do the analytical models take into account, you know, peaks, uh, cycles? Obviously, every athlete, every professional cycles. They have good years, bad years, good games, bad games, and so on. And some of them peak early, and some of them take a little longer and peak. Some of them have multiple peaks. Yep. Do the analytical models take that into account? Yeah. Okay. Yes, because uh, you have to take everything into account. To make a, a conclusive analytical model you have to basically take everything and make it to where it's one conformity you know kind of dumb it down is one thing weighted more than another and if so what aspects of an analytical you know statistical model when you're looking at the potential for a player to produce um in particular in this case what's their potential to produce in the professional the highest ranks of the profession whether it be nfl nhl nba whatever we're talking about um what factors weight heavier than others? Well, there's factors of adversity. There's factors of how do they come back from not playing their best game. Like how that's why you can kind of see the the 
boom and bust kind of ratio for um, Thibodeau and Hutchinson because there was games where they were very, very good. And there was games where they were the guy who got schemed at. And they kind of got shown. Like when Hutchinson played Michigan State, right? Mm-hmm. They ran at Hutchinson. They ran at him. Or they ran, they ran away from him sometimes. And then they came back and ran at him. And the reason for that is they kind of knew something that other teams didn't, you know? And they really they didn't have the offensive line to kind of stop Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. But they made it to where they game planned to where they used his aggressiveness and his the way he plays against them. And that's, that's something that you, if you're an NFL team, you, that's what you do too, all the time. And you've seen with the Georgia game, they took him out of the game. They made sure that he didn't have a shot in hell to make plays. On, the, on their quarterback. So if you're the Lions, right, you're Brad Holmes, you're, um, you know, you're Dan Campbell, and you're taking a look at your, your draft choices, right? And you know, those guys know that they are being scrutinized mm-hmm. very heavily, and there's a lot at stake in terms of they have this opportunity to draft very high. So who are you looking at? If you're those guys, who are they looking at right now, according to the modeling, according to, you know, the needs of the team? If you're them, who are you looking at? It's a little bit off the board because I really don't think that they're going to go with a safety to start the, the whole pick. But if you're going to go with the safest pick and the guy who has the most upside and the guy who could be a complete difference maker, it's Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. Because if you look at it, that forty nine fifty one uh, boom the bust ratio right mm-hmm. for both of those those defensive ends you can get the same boom bust ratio later in the first round with the Rams pick and there's a reason for that because you know people are people are so want they they so badly want a guy who can rush the passer in the NFL they they want it so bad but the, you got to think about it like this. If you draft this player at second overall and he doesn't play to what he's capable of, as you as a you're, you as a general manager, you're in. Whew. Yeah, you're gonna look bad. You're in bad. See, this is a this is a problem with what sometimes general managers they overthink it. Like they go they go, oh, I need this guy, so I'm gonna take him, but he really doesn't have a really good probability of becoming a really really good player. You know what, too, and I think that the front office guys tend to. Sometimes cave to the pressure or overthink, or of who, of who the the fans or the sports pundits or the media thinks they should pick, and you know, like Aiden Hutchinson, you know, they're like, well, obviously, you know, you want to grab that guy, and then the fan base gets upset when these GMs choose other players. The guys off the radar. Yeah, but they have to understand that they're looking at a whole lot more than what we as fans are looking at. Well, you gotta look at it like Steve, from the Steve Eisenberg point of view. You know, like Lucas, when they took Cider at the sixth overall pick. Even Cider was shocked. He, he couldn't believe he, he got he, picked. People were like, what? Right. Like, oh, if you go back right. and watch the, the TV, uh, they were like, what? Yep. And you're like... Well, you look, like I said, you look at Cider and he's shocked. He's sitting there like, was that me? Did they right. call my name? Right, did they actually call my name? And it's <laughs> was like, that me? And that's what good general managers do. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, you know, Alexis Lafreniere, who was the guy who was drafted first overall in the, the Lucas Raymond draft, you know who had a better probability of becoming a better player sooner? Lucas Raymond. And he was the fifth overall pick. 
Because yeah. sometimes these general managers, they get stuck in this whole mold where, you know, as a guy that, you got to look at the hype factor too. Like, the, like a guy like from in hockey, it's the Canadians, right? If there's a but, if there's a Canadian if there's if there's a Canadian player who uh, has has played very very well and he scores goals, he usually gets ranked over a guy who's from like Russia or Sweden. Sweden. So does the same thing apply in football? Because to me, you know, football you're looking for size, right? You're looking you, for size on the line, especially if you're looking for your your defensive line. Well, it goes, it's, it's it's like that for football too because there's certain programs. I mean, can you can you move up the ranks? Just by being big? No, you can move up the ranks by what school do you go to. Oh, I can see that for sure. I mean, if you played at Alabama, that's a that's a high mark for you. And a lot of those guys, they don't live to the billing of what they were. I mean, you look at a guy like, like Justin Herbert, right? He was the fifth overall pick that year. And he's the best quarterback out of that draft. You know, a guy like... Like last year, Trevor Lawrence, right? He was the number one overall pick. He was just the guy who everybody wanted. The Brett girl. He was, I call him the Brett girl with his flowing locks. He was the guy that everybody wanted. He was right. the guy that, like, you know, he's a generational type player. And if you look at the boom buster, it, he he really didn't have this, you know, generational type feel. Like Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, they had like 80, 20, 90, 10. Like that's just, that's really just, you really can't go wrong with those guys. You look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you know, he, he had some very, very red marks on his his, his, uh, his total pool. Well, and you can see, I mean, I don't think he's, he has done anything for Jacksonville, that's for sure. Yeah, but he came into a bad situation. But that's, again, one of the things that you have to take into correlation is the organization you go to. You know, like a Jacksonville, like they, they, were, they were a dysfunctional organization when he came in, and they've been dysfunctional. You but, know what I'm surprised by? Joe, I think you know whose expertise we need? Because I have a question, and I don't think you're the man to answer it. Mm. I think you need to phone a friend. I think you need to call your girlfriend, Jenna, the the fabulous hairstylist. Here's what I want to know. How the hell did Redkin or Paul Mitchell or one of the other salon brands miss out on getting an endorsement deal with Trevor Lawrence. He should have absolutely got an endorsement deal from some hair care product company because that's all I can see when I see that guy is his lovely it, golden it, His hair is pretty nice. It is. Yeah. Well, Think you, about you know it. Who got, you know who really got, uh, you know who grew out his hair to get uh, a sponsorship by Paul Mitchell, right? Yeah. Aaron Rodgers. There you go. And he's really not this, this good looking dude, but like he grew out his hair for that. So did Tom Brady at one point. It's amazing what you know. You know, seven-figure paycheck will make you do. <laughs> right, right, right. No, but seriously, no. But uh, my point is, hey, Trevor Lawrence probably could have made even a bigger splash as as a hair model as he that he could what what he did with Jackson. I think they'll have a better year next year. I think I think they need to really they need their whole thing is they need to go get that left tackle from Alabama, Evan Neal, and protect his ass because. He really don't have protection. That really, he's a guy that would he needs a protection because even at Clemson he had pretty good protection. As a, his offense line was pretty good. You know, I would love to see if there is a QB in this draft class. I know you we talked about it before, and you pointed out that there really isn't anybody uh, for us to pick up. And I know that you know now they've won three games at the end of the season, so now people are starting to warm up to Jared Goff a little bit. But I gotta tell you. Um, and Jared Goff is one 
hell of a guy. Very, very nice guy. But I really do not believe that he is the answer for the Lions. Um, I, I don't know if they think he is, but uh, I don't think so. I think he's, the success of the Lions at the end of the season did not come from Jared Goff's performance, but rather from the uh, enhancement and performance of our rookies and um, of our of well, our that's, younger that's, guys. That's part of it. I mean, Jared Goff, he, the reality with Jared Goff is he needs a guy. He needs guys around him to be good and to be good. He needs he needs guys. You know, there's there's certain quarterbacks in the NFL that and those are the elite guys that don't need a lot of help. Like Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady can throw to anybody. He can throw. You can throw to Big Bird out there. There's three. There's three guys in the NFL right now that you go. They don't need much help because they can do it all by themselves, and that's the way it is. And that's Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson. Because they've yeah. been they've been doing it their whole career. Where you know, like a guy, a guy like Tom Brady, like he, he right now he's throwing to like Rashad Perriman, who the Lions cut. Yeah, okay. I mean, Russell Wilson, he got he finally has good wide receivers, but he don't have an offense line. And you look at Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he just has Devontae Adams. This is his best team yet, and they're probably going to go to the Super Bowl. Why? Because when you insulate a good, a great quarterback with talent, he's probably going to do really, really well. So what are the Lions doing right now? Obviously, their season is over. What are they doing uh, at this time other than assessing their plans and their analytical models for who they're going to choose in the draft. What are they doing right now? And what should they be doing? Well, right now they're breaking down the free agents and how they're going to attack free agency. And then when they get to the camp, they're going to have their pre-combine, um, you know, boards where they, they like these players and they like this player. And those boards will change after the combine because different people will come and play and do really, really good at the combine. And that's usually when you really find out which player is, really good and these boom to bust ratios they will change when the combine comes around because if Thibodeau comes out and he runs he runs a fourth four I mean that's 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 elite level speed for a defensive end so that's that's the things that can change really really quick and interestingly enough you know a lot about the combine because you've been invited to the combine before uh, is that not true yes I have yes and I don't know do you think you're going to be invited this year what do you think the chances of that are or is it still COVID-affected? Still COVID-affected. Right. You know, and thank God, the NHL, I know we're talking football in the Lions here, but the NHL, you know, just recently lifted their... Oh, the NFL did too. Fantastic, where they're no longer testing players who are asymptomatic, thank God. Well, my, the whole reality with that is, I mean, it's like college football playoff, right? COVID don't live there, bro. Right. It don't live there. <laughs> because right. guess what? We might lose money. Yep. That's that's what it's about. I mean, the NHL is probably like, oh, God, we're going down to the last part of the season. They're probably like, Canada, shut the hell up. We are not testing these players if they're asymptomatic because guess what? We like money. Do you like money? Do you like tax money? Then shut up. Always been an issue. I would contend that it's that I said from the beginning that COVID is only going to be an issue so long as the amount of money that they are afraid of losing in lawsuits is overridden by the amount of money they are actually losing by not playing games and not admitting fans to the stadium and all of that. So the the risks of COVID have to 
be less than the reality of the losses that they're suffering be, because of some perceived threat. Well, the, re- of the reality so, of the situation is it's not going away. It will never go that's away. That's right. And if if you gotta go, you gotta move on. Like you can't. This is more of like the business of sports, but like if you're a if you're a if you're an owner, and you're playing a game. Let's say you're the you're the you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady gets test tested for COVID. And he pops a positive right before you take the field against the Rams. Guess what's happening? You're not winning. Well, and- let me tell you. Do you know why? Well, you use Tom Brady as an example, and the fact of the matter is that myself, along with probably millions of other other women in the United States and around the world, would suck the air out of Tom Brady's lungs, even if he had COVID. It wouldn't <laughs> matter. It's like it doesn't even matter. We'll take the risk, you know. It's worth. If I die, I die happy. I die a, a happy woman. But no, but really, um, the fact is, you're right. COVID's not going away, and I think that. People have got COVID fatigue at this point, yeah. and certainly it is hitting the bottom line of every industry, including professional sports. And it is a business, regardless of what anything else, what anyone else says. You're not, you're not going to keep going like this. No. You can't continue to go like this. And nope. And the amount of NHL games that have been postponed is is absolutely insane. Like at least get, at least I can give the NFL credit; they didn't postpone any games this year. I mean, they moved a couple games to a Tuesday night, but that that was it. Well, we'll be it'll be interesting to see what the Lions do during this postseason period, as well as uh, what they do rolling into the draft and dealing with their free agents. But certainly, they will be using, among other things, analytic tools such as you've developed, my friend. Mm-hmm. And um, we might even start posting some of the You're um, be posting examples of that, the content of that we're, we're, on. Yeah, and, and between, on our social, on Detroit Lions news between the whistles, all that stuff. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get noticed. We're gonna get this all this out there. But if you're Brett Holmes, you gotta you gotta love you gotta love the way you're going into this off season. That you can kind of push it aside and get better. And I think that the Lions have nowhere to go but up, and I think they've got a tremendous um, you know jumping off point in these last three games of the season where they showed what they are capable of. And I think that we're going to see more of that. I think they're only going to make enhancements um, going in the offseason. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do with next season. And you're really going to know a lot about Brad Holmes' offseason because there's not many hard – there's a lot of hard decisions that have to be made that are not easy decisions. And, and I trust that he knows exactly what he's doing. Here's the one thing that I think with the Lions – uh, that they haven't had in years past is they have really a, a very good sense of direction in terms of where they're going. Brad Holmes at the, uh, Holmes at the helm, and he's got Dan Campbell as his co-pilot. And I think that those two know exactly where they're headed, and they are going to be very strategic in their choices that will enhance where this organization is going and will make a better uh, season for all of us uh, rolling into the fall. And I think that they're going to stick with Jared Goff going into next year. I think, I think they are too. Because there's no quarterback that you – the top quarterback that has a positive rating is 20%. And, and so you may as well stick with what you got. It's, the, it's, it's, it's what do they say, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. You're, you're not investing right. that type of stuff into guys that have, don't have a good probability of being good. Absolutely. This is the Cindy and Joe show on between the whistles, and we will see you next week. Remember, we are your hometown team. And we are sponsored by Wild Bills.